At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. I went up to Escanaba, Michigan recently and attended the UP Bear Houndsman Association's annual banquet up there hosted by Joe and Nancy Hudson and all the good folks up there in the in the UP. And I met our guest for today, Chris, and man, what a nice young man he is. It was a very enjoyable experience that I'm really uh, anxious uh, to share, I'm not anxious, I guess excited to share excited excited to share with our listeners yeah today you know well i'm kind of jealous that you that you uh got up there to escanaba my march is so full you know i'm i'm headed to apa breed days next week and then the wisconsin bear hunters uh, association after that kind of uh, another tour here for the houndsman xp slogan uh March for Bear Hunters, and we've got a lot of exciting things that are that we're going to talk about here in a minute that has to do with that. Yeah, but I mean, you know, one thing I noticed while I was up there uh, in the UP, as they say, uh, was at the banquet there, there was probably 500 uh, members and their fam, uh, family members in attendance. As I looked across the room there, I saw a lot of DU Hunting Supply logo wear in present in attendance there. A lot of hats and shirts and hoodies and all that stuff. And that, you know, those people up there in the UP recognize that DU is a full-service supplier for hound uh, anything that that a houndsman may need. And, uh, man, that great customer service apparently resonates with those folks up there. But that was uh, pretty cool to see all that DU uh, swag up there. Yeah, W Hunting Supply, you can find them at dusupply.com. And you're going to be gearing up for that spring bear season, training season, all that stuff. Make sure you're, you, you go there and you find your equipment and round that order up with one of our T-shirts or a window decal. And while we're talking about people that uh, are good to us and are good friends, let's talk about our friend Kevin and Nancy Hall at Dogs Are Treat for our March for Bear Hunters campaign here. You can go to dogsartreat.com and at checkout, enter the code HXPBEAR, get 25% off your whole cart, and and you'll be exposed to a, 
not only great people, but a great company that's outfitting you for the field. Hey, that's great. Kevin and Nancy have been great supporters of our, our podcast, and we appreciate those guys so much. Another guy that's been a big supporter of ours uh, from the very start is the big guy there. Uh, many of them, uh, many of our listeners uh, recognize this guy from the Coonhound events around the country and all. And that's markzap.com. Mark, uh, what a guy. Oh, man. Mark's the best. Uh, he he has been uh, very very supportive with uh, his uh, merchandise. Uh, we the lifetime coon squallers have been a big hit with our contest winners and all. So big shout out to the big guy Mark Zepp. Clothing items and that new dog box line too. Hey man, I looked at that thing at the Grand American. That is one nice setup right there. Uh, all aluminum diamond plate. Great looking box, man. I think it's about time for me to trade in uh, trade in the old boat and get get a new one for the dogs. That's for sure. Yeah, heavy duty gates, uh, you know, heavy duty hinges. These things are built to last mm. for the the rest of your life. I for think. sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hey, let's shout out. You hear us mention him all the time. He was a recent guest, but uh, let's shout out to Clay Newcomb of Bear Honey Magazine. During our March for Bear Hunters campaign, Bear Honey Magazine is offering a special discount to anyone who goes there and and buys a new subscription to his worldwide publication, Bear Honey Magazine. And at checkout, you simply type in the promo code HXP and you will get 25% off of your magazine subscription. This is a high quality magazine that, uh, I mean, it just dives into every aspect of the bear hunting lifestyle. Everything from, from how to cook, render bear grease. Uh, you've got, you've got the, the sportsman's Alliance in there talking about hunting issues and we've got, a, peop, a person that you will all recognize, Steve Fielder, writing the legendary bear hunting. What do you call that? What is that? It, legendary, legendary bear yeah, dog. Yeah, legendary bear dogs. The dog has to be deceased, but it's, it has to be a dog that made its mark in the woods as a bear dog. And, man, I've enjoyed writing those pieces, the interviews and all. And, and Clay tells me that's one of the most requested uh, uh, uh parts of his magazine and of course he writes some of those articles he and i kind of share the duty on that but bear hunting man it is a great magazine it's really first class i'm the photos are amazing in there the layouts uh if you hunt bear doesn't matter whether you're a spot and stalk hunter a bait hunter a, uh, or a hound hunter and there's lots of hound hunting information in every issue so yeah shout out really is shout out to clay yeah enter that product code or promo code hxp at checkout and get 25 percent off of bear hunting magazine through the end of march and last but not least we want to recognize the uh our really good friends at freedom hunters we partner with freedom hunters because we believe in what they do and that is getting america's warriors the people that are out there paying the price 
making the sacrifice to ensure that we have freedom in the United States of America, the greatest country on the face of the earth. And you can still go to Freedom Hunters right now, get more information on uh, Houndsman XP, Freedom Hunters Hound Adventures, make a donation there. We're still doing things. Jared Moss right now as we speak is hosting a Freedom Hunters Lion Hunt in uh, Utah. We've had veterans that went to Arizona and hunted with with outfitters down there through Freedom Hunters. We took a veteran and a Gold Star family member on a hound adventure. There are women planning uh, an event in northern Wisconsin right now for for our women veterans and going to get them in the woods to bear hunt. We've got coon clubs that are that are hosting um, events where they bring the, the the veterans in, and it's so important that we provide an avenue for these veterans to reengage into life here in the United States. They've earned it, and this is a good cause. I agree, Chris. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of is that relationship that we have with Freedom Hunters. No doubt good organization they deserve our support they're doing great things out there steve you ready to get into this episode man i am really i say this a lot but i mean that i'm excited to to meet this young man online here and uh, to hear his story what what a great story it is a leader you know we old dogs here uh you know need to be looking to these younger people uh, with uh, they have the fresh ideas, they have the energy, uh, and uh, this is one of the real leaders in the hound sports. I believe he qualifies in every way as an extreme performance houndsman. So, really looking forward to our guest today. Let's do it. Well, we are here once again continuing the uh, Houndsman XP's March for Bear Hunters. And today, Steve is on the line with me. You, last week, Steve, when we recorded, you were at the UP Bear Hunters or Bear Houndsman Convention. Yeah, up there at the UP Bear Houndsman Association with my good friends Joe and Nancy Hudson. We go back so many years, uh, back into the, oh, I'm going to say 70s maybe, with the National Plot Hound Association and uh, that, those uh, folks are just uh, golden to me. We we've been friends for many many years, and and at the invitation of Joe and Nancy, I went up and attended that uh, convention. Uh, actually, it was uh, just last weekend as we're recording this. But uh, yeah, so it's always good to get back to pure Michigan. You know, I lived up there for 21 years and made uh, a lot of friends up there and uh, just had a great time. Yeah, and you worked on on a lot of issues there in Michigan with uh, UP Bear Houndsmen and also the Michigan Bear Hunters Association, the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation. So just like everywhere you go, you find a lot of people to uh, interact with and build relationships with. Well, you know, when I went up to Michigan in 1983 full time, you know, I was moving from West Virginia. There's a bit of a stereotype when you live in the South that people in the North are not all that warm and friendly. And uh, man, did I ever find that to be untrue. I met some of the greatest people that I've ever known up there. I had some wonderful times up there. The hunting and fishing is fantastic 
phenomenal as most people would know. And wrapped around all that are these great associations. And I was, yeah, very fortunate to serve on the board of the Michigan Bear Hunters Association while I was there. And that was one of the most rewarding of of the jobs that I I had while uh, while working there for UKC and for PKC. So I'm a big supporter of Michigan. Go blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and we're going to continue with our theme for March and that is uh March for bear hunters. Um, and we want to talk about a little bit about this extreme performance tag that we have on the end of houndsman houndsman XP. And, uh, you know, we want people to understand why that's there and, and why we interview the people we interview. So, so today's guest is, is a perfect example of what we consider, uh, what we all should consider in our community as extreme performance. He's a dedicated, uh, houndsman. He, his, he steps up to the, to the plate when there are, there's a cause to fight for, uh, and he's a leader among bear hunters in Michigan. And uh, Steve, you want to do the honors of introducing and add a little bit to that? Well, absolutely, Chris. I had the privilege to uh, meet this gentleman face-to-face at the UP Bear Houndsman Association meeting. Now, he may have been in the ranks uh, uh, of membership when I was with the Michigan Bear Hunters Association, but... uh, Man, it was a great experience to meet uh, our guest today, his family. I think there was three boys there, uh, his beautiful wife, Courtney. And uh, uh, it just just a, a real quality experience. And I'm, I'm really pleased that we have Tim Dusterwinkle with us today, the president of the Michigan Bear Hunters Association. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for coming on. You bet. Thanks, Chris and Steve, for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, yeah. And i got to ask you a question real quick. You know, Steve said something about not sure if you were in the ranks when he was involved with the Michigan Bear Hunters Association. Were you even alive when he was involved with the Michigan Bear Hunters <laughs> Association? <laughs> well, I think so. Uh, yeah, I just turned 50 last year, so I think I was alive. Okay. I, I was around. But, uh, yeah. I was a member, and I joined the board of the Michigan Bear Hunters in 2008, so I'm not sure, Steve, when you left the board. 2004, but... Tim, 2004. Okay. Yeah, I was reminiscing with John Kreiderman up at the UP Bear Houndsman meeting, and we were talking about when we first met, and uh, back in the day, the conventions were held at the old Knights of Columbus Hall in Gaylord which was a fairly small place. And the first time I went up there was in 1983. That's just after I joined the UKC. And uh, I went with my friend Dennis Paulson up to to the first meeting. And, of course, I wasn't affiliated in any way with the organization then, but wanted to go there and uh, meet the, a lot of bear hunters, which I did. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it goes back a while for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah everything goes back a while for me <laughs> yeah, yeah well i one of my uh, it, uh you know nice good memories i guess you could say was 
I did have the opportunity to bear hunt with Carl T. Johnson mm-hmm. back in the early 1990s. He he is, you know, the, the founder of the Michigan Bear Hunters Association back in 1946. So that was a – he was an old man when we hunted together, but it was really neat to, to be able to hunt with him and talk to him a little bit. So that's one of my good memories I have of the old timers, you know. You bet. Hey, Chris, for your uh, little information uh, – tidbit here carl johnson was the guy that was responsible for bringing hack smith deal and the plot dogs up to uh to michigan and put on a uh trial bear hunt right uh for for the uh, uh the game officials there i right. think it was in what's called the green swamp wasn't that right tim dead stream swamp dead stream swamp that's yeah. right Exactly. So Car- Carl Johnson is a legend in Michigan for sure. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've read that account of uh, Hacksmith deal going to Michigan for that hunt. So that's uh, that's pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. And you got to hunt with him. Is that correct? Is that what you said, yeah. Tim? Yeah, yeah, I did. And, and he was, I think he was probably around eighty when when I went hunting with him. So he wasn't, uh, you know, he was old, but he still got down through the woods pretty good and. And he lived to be in his mid nineties, I believe. Yeah, we mm. lost him a few years ago, but yeah. No, it was just neat talking to him about the old old times and the old days and how things had changed, you know, so much since and, when he started. And we've talked about this before, Tim. But I, every time this comes up, I always want to bring it back to the forefront. Mm. You know, I think a lot of our houndsmen hang up hang up their uh, their uh, hunting coat too soon and and retire too soon from this lifestyle that we live as houndsmen and uh, they bring so much value to our lifestyle what we do how we do it they can provide wisdom and guidance and and different things and uh, uh, so I always like to bring that up if you if if you see a, a see an older houndsman out there pick his brain find out what you can learn from him and if you are one of those guys that's been thinking man i don't know i don't know if i can do it another year you know go out there and still try to be a part of it as much as you can because because we need you you know absolutely i would yeah yeah, i'm sorry steve go ahead no go ahead please i i was just gonna say you know i'm like i said i turned 50 and i've been i did not grow up hound hunting i didn't start till i was in my early 20s um but that being said, when I was in my 20s, boy, I was gung-ho, and my world just revolved around it. I wasn't married, and I, I even lost a job over it, which is probably a common story. <laughs> uh, dogs overwork, you know, but uh, it's interesting how I've evolved a little bit, too. Now uh, I try to make my family and the good Lord number one in my life, and the hounds are still very important to me, but they don't... Uh, consume me like they did back you know 25 years ago i can so, relate i think that some, yeah i think the young guys can if they're smart and wise they will uh you know i think one of the big lessons is that it's not the most important thing in your life to be honest with you so i think we've all been there tim i think um you know when we get bit by this this hound bug uh, you know, we, we do put a lot into it. I, I know that I've sacrificed some valuable time with, with my family, 
over the years because of these hounds. So I've probably used way too much of the grocery money running around, uh, uh, hauling these hounds up and down the road and, and put unneeded stress on my family. But I've also got a lot of memories. I've got pictures of my daughter with her first bear and, uh, we, we would make, um, some annual trips to some breed days, plot days, for example. And, and so there are a lot of memories there and a lot of relationships we built along the way. So I think big picture, you know, I don't have many regrets. I, of course, my wife is sitting downstairs, probably listening to all this and thinking, well, I've got a lot of them, but, uh, <laughs> one of these days we're going to get her well, you know, and the wives on the podcast. Yeah, I didn't want to, uh, I, I should clarify, I guess I have three boys. They're five, 10, 11, and they come hunting with me all the time. And it's just great family time and, and hound hunting. And I'm sure you guys have talked about this before and with other guests, but it's the ultimate family sport because you don't have to sit still. You don't have to be quiet. There's lots of action. There's dogs. Kids love dogs. I mean, so we have a great time uh, hound hunting. and We just mostly bear hunt. Don't do any coon hunting, but uh, the kids really love it, and I've really come to, to cherish that time with them in the woods. We have talked about that a lot, and it's not only a great family sport, but it's a, gate, a great gateway sport for people that are thinking about getting into hunting. You know, I've, I've taken all kinds of people hunting with me from, you know, a CEOs of, of small companies or, or, or corporate CEOs and corporations, their kids, um, you know, you're not sitting there worried about spooking game off and things like that. Kids can, you know, small kids can chase, chase crawdads in the Creek. And, and while you're standing there, it's just great. It's, it's a great gateway sport as well. So I echo that. Well, that's one of the things I noticed when I went to Michigan and started going to the conventions and so forth is that it definitely is a family sport in Michigan. Uh, the, I, I, you know, did most of my hunting in the Southern Appalachians and, uh, uh Appalachians, excuse me. They'll kill me for saying, they will uh, kill you uh, for saying that. Appalachians. <laughs> You've been. Uh, I, I'm talking like a flatlander now. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, you know the terrain is so rough there, and it it's not as conducive to taking the kids along. But in Michigan, and I'm not implying that it's easy by any stretch. But but you know, I was amazed to see how many wives, girlfriends, um, you know, kids were involved in the sport, and. Uh, that's great, and uh, I applaud the hunters in Michigan and Wisconsin and the upper Midwest for, for making it a family sport, and, and I think perhaps it's more so there than anywhere else in the country that I've been. Interesting. Yeah, abs- no doubt about that. I mean, Michigan is uh, kind of a magical place, and you've talked about it before, Steve, about uh, you know even the the up north you know, the UP and mm-hmm. I've, ne- I've yet to be up there, but that's on my, uh, places that I want to visit and, uh, turn a hound loose. Speaking of that, uh, Tim, where are you from in the great state of Michigan? Well, I was born in Hudsonville, which is a small, used to be mm-hmm. a little farming community in between Grand Rapids and Howland, which is kind of Southwestern lower peninsula. 
Ice yeah, cream. Does that mean anything cream, to you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as long as I can remember, I'd always wanted to move, uh, like you said, Chris, up north, and uh, and so we finally finally did it. I live in the UP now, with uh, the central UP, and uh, and we just love it up here. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. So let's talk about that extreme performance aspect and and why we've got you on here because you're doing a lot of work up there with the uh, Michigan Bear Hunters Association and how long have you been president now? Uh, this is my seventh year or will be my seventh year as president. You know, so it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I've been uh, <clears throat> fortunate to have just a great board of directors who are supportive and, and willing to work. And that, and I'm not, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a guy who likes to, to delegate. And sometimes I think you see in these organizations a strong personality who wants to run everything. And, right. And then, uh, and then they either get burned out or people get discouraged because they can't do anything, you know. So I think one of the keys to a strong organization is having – someone at the top who's willing to let go of the reins and you know what I mean to develop other leaders absolutely you know this past week uh we were engaged I was actually uh uh, speaking with Carl Chattel of the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association and and he used the analogy uh you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day or teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime and um, that is so important when we are building these organizations or trying to sustain organizations is leadership that is willing to delegate and trust the people that they delegate these things to and it does a lot of different things for one thing it develops their skill set and it also gives them ownership in the organization. Now they've got something that they can they can uh, identify with and and say, hey, you know, this is this is something that I did. And I always think about the Lao Tzu quote on leadership: the measure of a of good leadership is when the work is all done. That people say, I did it. We did it ourselves. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's key organi- that's key to successful leadership but it's also key to sustaining a strong organization because people are want to be involved but if they don't know how to be involved then they will simply sit back and their energy will uh go by the wayside or they won't feel they're a part of it and and you'll lose you'll lose effectiveness and you won't be able to sustain the, sustain the momentum that you have Right, and you know, I think part of our success in Michigan or at the Michigan Bear Hunters is just because we have been along around for so many years, seventy-five years or so, and we've had so many great men and women part of the organization. That when I was first asked if I'd be interested in joining the board back in two thousand seven, I was, I was, you know, kind of shocked and and honored, and so it was a it was a huge honor for me, and when I went to my first meeting I was just super excited and, and proud that that I was able to that people wanted me to join you know what I mean so um, we try to foster that environment of we appreciate 
people and we want them to participate and want them to develop, you know, develop these leaders in conservation in Michigan. Does yeah. that make sense? Steve, <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. And we're, we were uh, kind of uh, waiting for you to, uh, to uh, bring up that issue of conservation and, and talk about that part. Before we get there, though, real mm-hmm. quick, I want to know, I want to know um, what motivated you to get involved in the board of directors and then ultimately take over as the leader of the organization or the face for the organization, the president's job. What motivated you to do that? Why not just stay out and bear hunt and enjoy your hounds and, and things like that, Tim? Why did you feel sure. yeah. feel like you needed to do that? Well, yeah, well, because certainly I have missed days in the field because of the organization. You know, my duties to the organization have taken precedence over time in the field, which is a sacrifice that you make. But um, so the, the reason why I joined was back in 2007, I lost a dog. I had, I had a dog killed by wolves in the UP while we had a bear treat. And, uh, and that really made me angry and I wanted to do something, you know, and, so I knew some of the directors, and I talked to them on the phone and came to a couple meetings, and and then they just asked me if I would be interested in, you know, running for a director position, and I said, sure. So that's how that all got started, how I got on the board that way. And as far as becoming president, that was just a uh, – I don't know how. There wasn't really a – I was just real – active and and talked a lot probably too much probably in the meetings and (laughs) people just you know asked uh matt pedigo former president he asked me if i would be interested in running for to be his vp so i said sure Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a calculated plan by me or anything it just kind of happened you know so so you didn't have your political career in the michigan bear hunters association all mapped out from a young age is no. what you're saying. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you right. when I became the president of the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance, it was because nobody else wanted to do it. So I'm glad to hear that, oh, that there right. was some plan there. Steve, you got something you, I right. heard you, I heard you key up your mic there. You got something you need to say. <laughs> well, no, I, in thinking back some of the things that Tim said, he mentioned talking too much. And I, I can testify that talking too much will get you a lot of jobs. <laughs> I, I should have learned like back in the military you know never volunteer for anything but i think that within some of us are uh, is this thing that when we see that there's work to do we say okay i'll do it if it's moved this pile of gravel from point a to point b give me a shovel you know and and uh I think that's within some of us, and there are certainly those that are are cheerleaders and bystanders, uh, and and will stand back and say, you know, uh, you can do this, Tim, or you can do this, Steve. But but those people are needed too because they they are more likely the people that come to the to the banquets and the conventions and buy the raffle tickets and support the organization that way. So it takes everybody doing it. But I think, um, a passion, uh, was something that for the, for the lifestyle was what, 
uh, motivated me over the years. And I think I hear that in, in, uh, in your experience, Tim, and, you know, some of the, uh, and I can, I can uh, also echo what you said about uh, feeling pride in, in being a part of that organization. We spoke of Carl Johnson, we, uh, these pioneers, you know, that formed that organization and made Michigan such a great bear hunting state. And then to be a part of that was a matter of pride for me. You know, I, I uh, had a job in Michigan that involved hounds and so forth, but you know, it was a real honor for me to to be asked to uh, uh, be on the board. And uh, one of the the most uh, enjoyable evenings of my life. And there were many at those conventions. In a minute, I want you to kind of paint a picture of what a bear hunters, uh, Michigan Bear Hunters Association convention or banquet is like and what it entails. But one of my proudest moments was, uh, as a surprise, receiving the uh, Sparky Hale Award. Uh, that was just one of a, a lifetime. Uh, I, I won't call it an achievement because I I don't see that I did anything to deserve it, but I sure did appreciate it. Do you do you know any of the background on that? Who who Sparky was and why there's an award? I I uh, of course don't know the man, but he he was a, a vice president in the Bear Hunters Michigan Bear Hunters and. He died in 1950, I believe, in a car accident. Uh, from from what I know, he was just a dedicated hunter, bear hunter, and dedicated to the organization. And and they just established an award way back then to uh, give to people who went above and beyond the call of duty, so to speak. And it was it's not a yearly award. It, I think the last time we gave one out was maybe six or seven years ago, and that went to Matt Pedigo. But mm. it's a it's a it's a rare award, or it's an award rarely given. So it's a it's a huge honor in in our organization. Well, I didn't mention that you got yeah. one, Steve. So I, well, I, I just I would like to say that you know it's a humbling thing to be for me to be president of this organization. And when I look at the people I I have worked with, you know, Mike Thorman is is super huge guy in Michigan. He's a great advocate, works so hard, hardest working guy that I know. And, and mm. uh, Bill Walker, when he was with the Michigan Bear Hunters before he retired, he was another great guy, tireless worker, good, really good thinker. I really admired his thinking skills. And then, you know, you, I didn't have the pleasure to work with you, but I hear lots of stories about you and Mike and Dr. Stinson going to the state capitol. So uh, that's that's really what it is about. It's about... Uh, if I could talk just a little bit about our success, you know, we're, we have lots of success in Michigan, and I think it's largely due to having leaders or directors or presidents who are focused on building relationships with people and with, with relationships with people who are policymakers and decision makers. So that's uh, either that's legislators or DNR people or other conservation associations that's really how you have success it's by you know really social networking i guess you know people you know and and they respect you for the work you do and you respect them and and they can support you and it's we've really done a good job of that i believe 
over the years. So, Steve, you want to follow up there? Well, yeah. First of all, I want to say I didn't bring up that Sparky Hale Award to, you know, shine the spotlight on me. I, I, what I was trying to say is what a tremendous honor it was to me to be accepted. You know, as I said, you know, I came there as a uh, expatriate, I guess, and uh, you know, and was accepted by the you know the the people of Michigan and and that work was so rewarding and and you know we went through through some very tough battles we went through some right. dark times some some dark hours when we really couldn't see the dawn you know mm-hmm. but we worked together and uh man you don't go through things like uh, and that's something we might can mention you know the ballot initiative of I believe it was 1996, um, where we were faced head on uh, with the prospect that our our lifestyle could be taken away uh, by the the voters of the state of Michigan. And that's a pretty sobering thing when you face it, especially when they tell you it may cost you $2 million if you are successful. And... uh, So anyway, but there there were a lot of victories. There were a lot of great times. And, and one of the most fun things that I did up there was getting to emcee the, uh, the banquet uh, and tell some of my corny jokes. And the people were pretty kind. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't throw any tomahawks at me or anything. Just uh, tomatoes. But, <laughs> tomatoes. <laughs> but yeah. Great times, great times. But um, can, Chris, can we do that? Get um, Tim to kind of just tell us about um, the organization a little bit, how it's structured, and uh, how it goes about doing the work that it that it does. I'd love to, and uh, I've got a couple follow ups that I that I want to kind of circle back on before we get there. I just made a yeah. note to uh, to talk about that. But Tim, I want to I want to ask you real quick. And you can just spend a short time talking about this. But we had Gene Hopkins on a couple of weeks ago. We've had Mike Thorman on the podcast uh, probably seven or eight months ago. And this common theme mm-hmm. keeps coming up about how to be effective as an organization. Um, and that is it always centers around relationships. And all right. too often I see um, – uh, things on social media that pop up that say, you know, this issue's coming up or this this uh, policy is trying to be pushed through the Natural Resources Commission or this legislation is coming down the pipe, and uh, you'll get you'll get people out there that will say, you know, things like, oh well, you can't work with you can't work with deer hunters or deer hunters are the enemy or or you know the big game other big game hunters are the enemy. And what has been your experience in Michigan of being able to bridge those gaps and bring all those parties to the table together and and work together? Well, yeah, we certainly have, uh, you know, I guess different factions, you could say, right? I I try to take, and and the organization tries to take a big-picture uh, approach to things and say, look, we're all on the same team. We uh, we we want to use sound science in our management decisions. We don't want to manage with emotion. That's what the Humane Society does. 
we want to be guided by sound science, the North American model, you know, and um, so we, you know, in our organization, we're the Michigan Bear Hunters Association, so we have hound hunters who are members, and we also have bait hunters who are members. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a hound hunter, but, you know, there's sometimes some friction between those two groups, and we just try to work with the department, with the DNR, to uh, if we can come up with solutions that are equitable for both people to, that will resolve conflicts or eliminate conflicts that's what we <clears throat> tried to promote and we, we did do that last year by we shifted some season dates around to reduce conflict in the woods and i think we had some good success with that mm-hmm. so and the reason i think that we were able to do that <clears throat> is because we have really good relationships with the, the dnr and they know that our number one concern is concern for the resource and that we're conservationists above everything else. So we're not doing it for selfish motivation. We're concerned about bear hunting, bear hunters, and, you know, we know, I know that hunters fighting among themselves is like the worst thing that can happen. So, uh, you know, the animal rights people and the anti-hunters, they're always trying to divide and conquer. We can't do that job for them, you know. So I think that, you know, going back to that relationship thing, it's, it's, that's really the key thing that when I call or Mike Thorman calls the director of the DNR and says, look, here's the deal, here's what's going on, he, he'll answer his phone and he'll listen to what we're saying because he knows us, has known us for a long time, and he knows that we have, uh, you know, the interest of the resource first put first that we're conservationists that we're not doing it for selfish reasons that he respects our us you know which is a big big deal Mm -hmm. well well, how did you get to the point how did you get to that point where the director of the dnr is actually you know reaching out and calling you says hey i need to call tim on this and and give him the heads up Uh, how did you reach that point uh well with this current director we he was the he worked in other organizations before his position with the state so we just you know knew him from years ago and 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 that's the thing too we develop relationships with people and we and we follow up with them through their careers i guess you know so we i mean we're he was the director of uh mucc which is the largest uh i guess it stands for michigan united conservation clubs and they're a uh, large organization in Michigan that's in Lansing, our state capital, lots of political influence, and he was the director of that organization. We worked with him a lot as in his capacity as the director there. So mm-hmm. that's how that relationship said. But even with prior DNR directors, you know, I think we really make efforts to interact with our local biologists. I'm always telling our, our members, you need to take your local biologist hunting to let him or her see or know that you are in the woods, here's what we're seeing, you know, give them <clears throat> your feedback and so that they will in turn respect what you're saying and and don't think that you're just, you know, out for your own personal gain. So same with politicians, taking your local legislator bear hunting. We've, 
we've taken dozens of, bear, of politicians hunting over the over the years, and we've really ramped that up the last ten years, and that's paid some huge dividends in the state capital. So mm-hmm. when we go to Lansing, and there's an issue, some some uh, legislation that we don't like, or you know that we think is detrimental to hunting or bear hunting, we can call these people up and say, listen, this you came hunting with us, you understand this is bad for us, and it's just not true, you know that. So education is our big. Uh, our big thing with our legislators and our DNR people just want them to understand the truth about hound hunting. And so, as you know, there's so much misinformation and just outright lies right. put out by Humane Society about hound hunting. So right. that we really tried to educate our people in position of power. Yeah, if we don't, if we do not control that narrative, if we don't know how to write that narrative, there are people out there who will write it for us, and sure, and we have we are the subject matter experts when it comes to hound hunting and and the lifestyle that we live, and we can't afford for other people to write that narrative for us. So, if we don't step out there and and take take control and ownership of that narrative. I guarantee you there's somebody out there that, that would love to write it for you and they will fill it up with lies and, and uh, twist it and bend it to, to fit their own agendas for for things that aren't necessarily, well, they're not good for the resource at all. Steve, I heard you key up there. What you got? Well, as I was listening to Tim there, uh, I can be a witness here of the conviction uh, that his organization has uh, for the wildlife resource uh, to make sure that it's in good shape. I remember an incident without going into all the details at one time when the Michigan bear hunters was very active in challenging uh, the, the game officials over the uh, uh, bobcat situation. As, as the hounds people saw it, you know, bobcats were not uh, – in good shape in Michigan and the bear hunters, although, uh, you know, they're not the Michigan Bobcat Hunters Association. They stood up and said, you know, the resource, uh, needs some help here. So I can say, um, uh, with firm conviction myself that when Tim says that they're conservation first, uh, that is absolutely true. Um, and, you know, and, and that's, you know, fundamental uh you know without the resource what do we have you know we got a lot of bear dogs but we have no bears to chase so uh <laughs> or we have or we have policies in place or legislation in place place that doesn't allow us to chase the bear well absolutely yep. and i think that's the core right there of why these organizations exist and uh and uh you know, if we could just get every state in these uh, lower 48 and uh, Alaska and Hawaii uh, to understand, you know, just how important it is to be proactive on behalf of the wildlife resource. What would have happened if Teddy Roosevelt hadn't been president? What would have happened if he hadn't stepped up? What, a, what would have happened if he had not been a hunter him, himself, but more than a hunter, a conservationist? You know, where would be – we wouldn't even have the North American uh, model for, for wildlife conservation. 
So, you know, the work that you're doing, Tim, and that Joe Hudson's doing and Mike Thorman's doing and these other the leaders of the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance and all, they're vital. You know, the work is is critical that we do these things. And if our listeners are out there are in a state where they don't have uh, a an active association, they need somebody needs to get busy and get it started. And uh, we'd be glad to help them do that. But anyway, I just testify to what you're saying to to be 100 percent true, Tim. Well, I've got a I've got a uh, a follow up to that as well. Uh, what you were saying there, Tim. So, you know, we talk a lot about uh, members and and leaders. How does the Michigan Bear Hunters? How do you avoid uh, letting people get lost in the shuffle? And I, what I mean by that is is um, how do you involve your membership? You guys are. How much how much money do you typically raise at a banquet? I don't know if you want to divulge that on a uh, public broadcaster, you know, or not. But um, ballpark figures. But, yeah, uh, I you know ballpark. That's our largest fundraiser of the year, and it's normally around fifty thousand that we we net. So. Um, we normally get around 500 people to attend the convention, and, and we've really worked on that the past few years. To uh, we have like kids uh, kids programs with live like live animals come in. The kids can pet animals and pizza parties, and you know because kids are the are a big focus for us. Our, like I think Steve mentioned, there's we at our convention. There's a lot of kids, and and we target the kids because that's, you know, it's a family sport and it's they're the future of our sport. So we want to make sure that we involve the, the kids. But, and, uh, okay. But Go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say we, we do uh, a couple swim trials throughout the year, not as many as we used to do. And I know some people are uh, would like us to do more, and, and we – we're certainly interested in doing more, but you know, coon hunting up here, anyways, is not as popular as it used to be. And places to have those sort of things are not as many, or not there aren't as many little coon clubs as there used to be. I don't know how it is in Indiana, but uh, I think clubs are hurting yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so, but you're not doing all that work. I mean, you. Tell us how you, as no. the president, direct this. I mean, we're talking fifty thousand dollars from a single convention, and most organizations out there aren't not building building that kind of involvement from their membership. So, so when you start this journey to, uh, you just finished up your convention by the time this airs you'll just finished up your convention when are you planning for your next convention uh essentially right away i mean we have contracts with uh these facilities resorts that we are we are signed already again for next year at the same place so we're always talking about speakers at conventions like for instance uh i've talked to uh, bob plot 
about coming next year. So he's gonna he's planning to come next year to do a presentation about um, you know pot hound history and just bear hunting history, I guess, really in in America. And I think that will be a a great. Uh, I think he'll do a super job that people would be interested. And in, even if you're not a a plot guy, just the bear hunting history, you know. And I, I've never met him, but he seemed to be super excited to come and, and was really looking forward to it. So we're always thinking about, you know, people who uh, can come and and uh, that our members would really be excited about. Uh, a couple of years ago, two years in a row, we had Clay Newcomb come. He's the <clears throat> owner, editor of Bear Hunting Magazine and just a super good guy. And uh, he was came and shared his stories about bear hunting all over North America, and we actually hired him to come up to Michigan during the summertime during our bear dog training season and produced a video. He came hunting with, uh, I think, five different groups. We went, he went hunting with, with myself, with Mike Thorman, with Joe Hudson, Keith Huff, and, uh, and, and just we talked about bear hunting and Michigan and how important it is, or hound hunting, I guess. So we've got this really nice video made, and we produce 10,000 copies of these, and we hand these out to our legislators, DNR people, and, and just whoever wants one, just to educate them on bear hunting with hounds or, you know, bear hunting history in Michigan. So just trying to find speakers that um, people, you know, that they're interesting. This year we had... Uh, Young lady Morgan Francis is her name. She's she came and talked about growing up in a hound hunting family and and her love and dedication to the sport of hound hunting for bear. So she, you know, it's neat to see. I don't know how old she is. She's pretty young in her twenties, but she's super dedicated and excited. And mm-hmm. it's just neat to see her passion. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. Steve. Well, um, Tim. Just outline the way the uh, your your annual meeting uh, takes place. Uh, just kind of give us an overview, uh, kind of a bird's eye view of the of the convention, uh, like the one you just had. Sure. So on Friday night we will have uh, like a hospitality room where we'll have food available to people, and and you know people just come and have a drink and mingle with fellow bear hunters and uh, just kind of a meet and greet, if you will. That's just super informal and good time. And then on uh, Saturday, our convention is pretty much an all-day deal. It starts at 10 in the morning and uh, kids' prizes or the kids' programs. And then our speakers throughout the day, various raffle prizes throughout the day. We give away lots of guns and uh, Garmin tracking stuff, you know, just lots of things interest, interesting to bear hunters. Um, this year, or, you know, we're up in Michigan, we got lots of snow yet, so this resort we have has a big tubing hill right next to the convention center, so we rent that for an hour so people can go tubing for an hour. That's pretty cool. Uh, before dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. fun. It's it's neat, you know, to 
get your local legislator on a on an inner tube sliding down a hill and you know his, with his family and they all have a great time so yeah nothing things, like little no, things like that yeah nothing like a broken arm right. to start a you know build that relationship and <laughs> you know forge through that conflict build that strong yeah, relationship yep. <laughs> so then dinner you know dinner at six o'clock and and uh various speakers you know mike thorman always likes to speak for a little bit and uh, yeah, yeah, Mike. Whoever else may want to speak a little bit. Yeah, Mike describes himself as is. Uh, he tells this story about being introduced at the Michigan Bear Hunters Asso- uh, Association banquet, and uh, the speaker speaker said, "The most dangerous place in this room is between Mike Thorman and a microphone." Yeah. <laughs> 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 So yeah, that's kind of the bird's eye view, I guess, Steve. You know, we we yeah. just have dinner and, and more raffles and prizes and whatnot, and just uh, hopefully we can encourage people to open their wallets and support a good cause. And they do for sure. You know, is uh, uh, my recent experience. It's been several years since I'd been in the UP for for their their banquet up there, and uh, I think there were sixty two guns. Uh, that were involved in those raffles and so forth. And uh, I know I looked on their prize list, and there were 140 prizes there in the general raffle. And and the tenth item, uh, every ten items was a gun. And you get right. that, you know, for a raffle ticket. And uh, of course, I didn't win anything. I, I'm I'm the guy that helps build the pot. You know, that's, right. <laughs> that's my <Yeah>. job. <laughs> but uh, most important job yeah (laughs) well yeah really really it is but those conventions are such fun and of course in michigan when you know cabin fever setting in you choose well to have those in march and uh i think winter's wearing on a little bit for most of us and uh uh, of course coyote hunting i think is an activity that most of the bear hunters uh uh, take part in and i know a lot of our listeners would like for us to do a segment on coyote hunting is that something you enjoy with your hounds tim you know i i did when i lived in lower michigan i don't up here and i don't part partly because the older i get the less i like winter um <laughs> but the other part is it's some uh, just bigger country and it requires hunting off snowmobiles and it's just a lot of work, you know. Uh, uh, bobcat hunting is is a little bit easier for me, so I do a little bit of that. But uh, certainly, coyote hunting is is just booming in popularity in Michigan. And uh, but along with that come its own set of issues, you know, trespass being the biggest one of those. I I've long said that I don't. I certainly fear another ballot referendum like we had in '96, but I really. I fear the trespass issue more, and I'm always trying to tell people to just really use your head, especially coyote hunting downstate in the in the populated areas. You know that you can't just roll up into somebody's driveway and jump out and start blazing at a coyote running across a hayfield. You know it's just not not something you want to do.
As houndsmen, we share very unique needs when we make a decision to relocate, especially when it comes to finding a hound-friendly environment in which to live. REMAX Hall of Fame realtor Evan Harrell is a houndsman himself, and he and his team understand your relocation needs as no one else can. With so many things to consider before you move, Evan can help you find just the right location anywhere in the country whenever you decide to go and will even help with the process of selling your present home. And Steve, REMAX Elite Realty is based in Franklin, North Carolina. Evan Harrell specializes in residential sales and especially in helping people like us to relocate to the locations we choose anywhere in the United States. REMAX has been the leader in residential transactions since 1999 and rated the number one brand in real estate. Evan has been named top producer four years in a row and Chairman's Club recipient in 2018. Contact Evan online at evanherrell.com or give him a call at 828-371-5103. You and your hounds will be glad you did. Well, we see these uh, these trespass bills popping their heads up all the time. We recently had Iowa, and I think Vermont is a is a, a hot issue right now. Chris, you want to talk about those a little? Yeah, so Iowa just defeated their their bill, but uh, the the stipulation on that defeat was the uh, stakeholders have one year to come up with a resolution on how to resolve the the issues of trespass out there in Iowa so there is a excuse me there is a a group out there right now that is forming to to try to accomplish that Uh, Vermont is one of those states that that has had challenge after challenge in the northeast there and um, if I if I recall correctly um, it, it it's very similar to the Iowa bill where uh, a houndsman is going to need permission prior to his hound entering private property and and that's just mission impossible for a houndsman to do unless they do a lot of legwork up front and i'll just i'll i'll shift this over to some of my personal experience as a conservation officer and uh, we have a group here locally that runs coyote hounds and during during their off season during the summer months they go around and talk to landowners and they get written permission to chase coyotes on their property they keep the leader of the group keeps those permission slips in a binder and so he has page after page and i bet there are when i saw it as a conservation officer i was talking to him uh, on the road, and of course, oh my gosh, the game warden's here. What's going to happen? And then they find out that that uh, yeah, I've got a job to do, but I wouldn't mind listening to some hounds. And so I build that relationship mm-hmm. with the leader of that group uh, because I'm a houndsman at heart. I wanted to listen to some coyote hounds run, but then when I started talking to them more, and I saw they were doing their due diligence to avoid conflicts with landowners, and invariably every year I would get a call from somebody that owned five acres uh, or three acres. Right. And 
they were concerned about coyote hunting in their area and things like that. And I was able to, as, as the problem solver, the conservation officer they're talking to, I was able to diffuse a lot of that by saying, have you ever stopped and talked to those guys? Well, no, I've never talked to them. Well, then you don't know that they have a binder with 150 landowners in your neighborhood to chase coyotes. So occasionally this is going to happen. However, they are working very hard to do the right thing. So that's just a side story to how people can be effective up front, be proactive, and, and do their due diligence because some of this stuff is going to happen. And I can't help but believe, and I'm putting on my tinfoil hat here, for the conspiracy theory that um, this is a, a, a flanking maneuver by the anti-hunting crowd to, if they can't defeat hunting, let's take away their ability to hunt, you know, right. through dog legislation and things like this. Yeah. I, while you were talking, Chris, I, I was thinking about uh, something else too, and that was that I always try to, like when I moved here, I went and searched out the game warden because I wanted to introduce myself and and tell him that you know we're, I don't want to have a a bad relationship. Let's be friends, and you know that's in my opinion that's the way it should be. You know, not a uh, not a bad relationship, but a good relationship. The game warden can be your friend, I think. And and on the other side of that too is the biologist, local biologist. Um, I think that a lot of these uh, young people coming out of colleges, like in our, in our state, Michigan State University, you know, has a huge biology program. And we, I, I would like to uh, set up some sort of program to um, interact with these biology students or kids graduating from these programs before they join the DNR. Right. To, to come hunting with some bear hunters to understand what it is because I think that you know these kids are being indoctrinated in school in these public schools about how hunting is bad and you know so it's 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 a little bit overwhelming but I think if if we could have some sort of interaction with these biology students too that that would pay dividends when they actually get jobs managing our wildlife that they understand what we do and what, where we're coming from. And, and I would just add this, um, wildlife professionals, especially the game warden is often tagged as the boogeyman. And I, and since I'm not drawing a paycheck, I can be brutally honest. When I got hired in 1990, you know, houndsmen, houndsmen were villainized as the enemy. Uh, you know, they're, they're outlaws. They don't care about landowner rights and and it was just a common theme among the the conservation officers uh to the point where they knew i was a houndsman and going through this boot style boot camp style training program to become a conservation officer then uh you know i had to had to endure a lot of that uh stereotype and and things like that but a lot of that has changed, and, and one of the ways that we changed it here in Indiana was because I was an officer and I was in charge of recruit training, then I brought houndsmen in to actually take these new recruits on an actual hunt, 
you know, with hounds in a real setting. We took them hunting, and and I believe that we have we have changed. We've done a we've we've successfully uh, changed the mindset of some of these officers, and they realize that hey, I was hunting with these guys. So when they see how it's supposed to be done, they can recognize when it's not done, being done properly. Or they might have a little more perspective. But it's human nature, and I'll, I'll come back to the defense of officers now. They are not the boogeyman. They are not anti-hunting. 99% of officers or biologists out there, they love to hunt. It's not like being a trooper. The people that we are are interacting with and the and the laws that we are regulating or the resource we're regulating, we enjoy that too. We always that's what makes us so special, and we want to want to be out there. But when we as people, when we don't understand something, a lot of times we fear it, and so then our fear manifests into hatred when when we don't do that but nine nine out of ten officers you're going to meet out there they just don't understand what you're doing so invite them mm-hmm. invite them to understand and Invi- right. you be the one to build that relationship yeah chris i think i could do a whole podcast just on this idea that uh tim is talking about there you know of getting permission uh, getting to know the game officials, the biologists and all. Uh, you know, I had a little formula that worked great for me when I was in Michigan, especially when I first went up there and I needed places to hunt. You know, I would take a Sunday afternoon. I'd clean myself up a little bit, you know, and wash the truck. If possible, I'd take my son with me and uh, drive around and knock on doors and introduce myself and tell them what, uh, you know, that I would, uh, I'd brag on that nice woodlot and the cornfield and the creek that they had and, and say that I'd like to run my dogs there and explain to them that, you know, that I would be responsible for my actions there. I wouldn't leave anything there that, that I took in with me and on and on. And I had, you know, at one time there, I had 30 names, numbers, of uh, landowners within about 10, 12 miles of my house that I could go run a dog, you know? And uh, so, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing I think that, that we need to be doing, uh, not assuming, you know, uh, you know, I've heard the old saying, well, I'll hunt there until I get run out and then I won't hunt there anymore. No, we can't have that attitude at all when it comes to finding places to hunt because that's probably the number one deterrent to hound hunting in the country today. And uh, these trespass and these antis know this, you know, they know this and that's why they're introducing these kinds of bills. We used to say, and this, this will, I'll, I'll backspin a little bit here. Uh, Chris mentioned working with Dr. Stenson and Alf and uh, Mike Thorman years ago. You know, but we had a a thing there that, you know, we would uh, speak for those who couldn't speak for themselves. And that was our dogs. But when uh, I've I've totally lost my train of thought right there, pick this up, Chris and Joe, but I had, I had a gym, I had a gym I was going to lay on you. I mean, a five carat baby. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it had to do with that work. Oh, you know, and recreational trespass work that we did back in the day and so forth. It'll come back to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, Tim, let's circle back because I want to talk. I, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the Michigan Bear Hunters Association, but I want to break it down. So to be a successful organization, you've got a lot of, uh, of people that are surrounding you. What types of people do you look for um, that are going to be effective board members who are going to be people that can, can uh, have leadership roles? Uh, a lot of times I think we get, we get focused on we need so and so because they're well known. Uh, Gene Hopkins talked about this. We want to get we want to get the all star bear hunter, or we want to get this guy involved because they can bring a lot to the table. But, but what do you look for as a president when you're looking for uh, people that that need to step up and fulfill a role within the Michigan Bear Hunters Association? Where are you going? Well. Uh, first of all, let me just explain how our organization is structured. Of course, we have a president, vice president, and, and our board consists of 20 directors and then the past five immediate past presidents. So mm -hmm. our, we have a pretty large board, and so it's 27 people. So um, I would respectfully disagree a little bit with, with Gene about getting the you know, I don't necessarily, as the president, want, or I mean, I, it's fine if they are great bear hunters, but that's my, not my number one priority is to be a director. You don't, you don't even have to be a bear hunter, in my opinion. You need to be a conservationist. And I want, what I want on the board is smart people that understand the issues and see the big picture. And because we are, you know, we have significant uh, membership, significant uh Fund, funds in the bank, and I want to be responsible in managing that, and I want to be effective in what we do, especially in Lansing and our state capital, in interacting with the DNR. I want to make sure that we have, you know, intelligent people, and that sometimes, you know, I mentioned Bill Walker uh, earlier. He he was. Uh, Longtime director and past president of Michigan Bear Hunters. He lived in southeastern Michigan, down by in the Detroit area, and he loved to go bear hunting. But he never—I don't believe he ever owned a dog. You know, right. he liked to go along and he did a lot, mm -hmm. went hunting a lot. But he was a super smart guy, or is a super smart guy, and a big thinker. And those are the kinds of people that that I want in the organization. Not, not you know, who's got the toughest pack of bear dogs around. That doesn't translate into in the state capitol. Yeah, and opinion. and I, I, I didn't do a good job there of clarifying Gene's uh, comment on that. He he agrees with you. You know, we discussed mm -hmm. having the biggest names and, and said a lot of times, you know, they are, they're busy. And, yeah, it's fine to have that name recognition, but uh, he looks for people that are, that are not self-serving and people that are right. willing to step up to the plate and, and like you said, understand the issues and, and those sort of things. So, so I apologize for not clarifying and leading you down the wrong, wrong path there, but, uh, you still spoke to the topics that, uh, I think we needed to hear. So we've got your leadership. You're looking for, for people that, that are willing to 
come out of the woods and, and be involved and, and not just serve their own interests. Um, what are you looking for from membership? Because not everybody is going to be as invested at different stages. I know when well, I was, yeah. when I was 20 years old, I was not going to, I was hunting, you know, and, and all those old guys right. that are making all the decisions, the reason they're in those leadership positions is because, you know, they, they don't want to hunt anymore as hard as I do and blah, blah, blah. And I find right. out that that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Right. So, but I think that just comes with wisdom the older you get. I, I can attest to that, but, uh, membership, uh, you know, as you, as I mentioned earlier, we, we are, uh, we represent hound hunting or hound hunters and bait hunters. I would say the majority of our membership is hound hunters because it is a lifestyle. And I'm not saying that bait hunters don't care about the resource or care about bear hunting, but, uh, Oftentimes we we get a lot of uh, turnover in our membership, and I, I believe it's mostly, you know, people in Michigan. It takes depends where you apply for a bear license, but probably average, you know, say eight years to get a bear tag. And so if someone's successful in the drawing that they got a bear tag, well, they're going to join the Michigan Bear Hunters. Okay, they mm-hmm. shoot their bear now. Maybe they don't join next year again. You know what I mean? Right. So, that's always been a struggle with us to try to keep them involved, keep them active. You know, um, hound hunters are a different story. They're always interested in, in, in participating, you know. So membership is one of those challenges. And, and you know, it's hard sometimes to uh, put personality conflicts aside, too, and, you know, Bear hunters are probably the worst, you know, infighting. There's lots of conflicts in the woods sometimes with guys, and, and those kinds of issues are, are sometimes hard to overcome. But I try to encourage people to look past, in my opinion, these smaller issues and look to the big picture and what's really important, you know. So, I would, I would say that that's regional um, that assessment about the infighting, I, I, um, since we don't have bear hunting here, deer hunting is king, but man, I'll tell you what, I felt like that uh, come the opener of deer season, I needed to hang up my, my, uh, uniform shirt and my gun belt and trade it out for a striped shirt and a whistle because I felt like a referee, you know? There's conf- there's conflicts at every level of hunting and and man we've got to put that aside. There aren't there are you look at the hunting picture as a whole there aren't enough of us to be fighting among each other. I don't care if you're shooting a a, a recurve or a, or a compound or you're hunting with a walker and I'm hunting with a plot or you know in my case you know everybody hates blue ticks. So um you know it's 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 one of the <laughs> it's one of those deals that that we just can't afford. We need to celebrate that people are out there doing and 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 uh, so when you're looking looking for memberships, just give us the president's message right now from the Michigan Bear Hunters Association. What do you need from from your membership to remain effective as an organization and to sustain this thing into the future? Oh, well, I would say we need, part, first and foremost, we need participation. 
We need people. Well, we need people to join either our group or the UP group or the Hunting Dog Federation. We need you to join. We we need your your financial support, and but most of all, we need action and we need participation. When we say we need you to call your local legislator, you know that's the kind of stuff that is really impactful. When or we say there's an important meeting at the state capitol, can you take a day off work and and come on down for that. And when we can fill up a room with a with just 50 or 60 people, that speaks volumes to these legislators because people normally don't do that kind of stuff, you know. And the bear hunters, we've really enjoyed great success with that. So that's the biggest thing. Join the group, support them financially because we we also spend money on, you know, lots of different things to support our groups and and hound hunting and bear hunting. Um but, but participation and being active and willing to do those things. Yeah, I want to I want to comment on that right right there, and then Steve, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. But I want to paint a picture on this participation thing. You hold this annual convention, and you do all this planning. You um, get your speakers in place. And I want, I want our membership to kind of, or our listeners right now that are sitting out there thinking, well, I don't belong to an organization. And you talk about participation. Maybe you're not the guy that can afford to go and buy the $1,000 print, okay? But you need to keep in mind that these organizations, to be effective, they need to draw in that key legislator or that DNR official that's going to be making decisions for for their lifestyle in the future, and you think, well, I'm not going to go. So your 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 organization is doing all these things to put to to bring in somebody from the outside and expose them to houndsmen, and that legislator walks in and there's 20 people sitting in the room. You've already built it up as a, as the leader of the organization. You know we've got we've got 5,000 houndsmen in the state of Indiana. And come time for the banquet, and you look around the room, and this legislator is standing up there, and he's talking to to, to 20 people. What kind of message does that send back to this legislator? You know, is he really going to take you serious? So even participation is just simply go to your, go to your banquet, go to your convention. Numbers speak volumes. You know, these guys all yeah. need votes, and they want to see that, and and – if you can afford five bucks for a raffle ticket, spend it. But if you can't, just go and enjoy an evening. You're still doing your part. Right. Steve? Well, thinking as you're talking there, uh, my recent experience at the UP Bear Houndsman and seeing the representation there, there were two state representatives there. I believe one a senator, one a, a representative. Uh, the assistant director of the DNR was there. Uh, the president or, or the director of Michigan United Conservation Clubs was there. The spokesperson for the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation was there. The president of the Michigan Bear Hunters, uh, the UP Bear Alliance, all of these groups coming together, all having a great time uh, interacting with each other, talking, sharing, uh, you know, and uh, – that's what every state needs. If you're out there and you're thinking about, you know, I need an organization like that. 
Well, just pick up the phone or get in touch with us and we'll put you in touch with these people. They'll be more than willing to share with you. I'm sure, Tim, if I had somebody in the state of Iowa that wanted to form a strong organization, I could give them your phone number and you'd talk to them about it, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. See, we have to interact. You know, back in the days that UKC started this scan, uh, we called it uh, State Canine Awareness Network. The idea was in every state there's an organization. Each one of those organizations is a watchdog for any legislative activity that's going on in that state. When the that uh, animal raises its head, uh, the 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 state organization contacts the entire network and says, look, we've got a trespass law here that says that our dogs can't get more than 500 feet away from us yes. when we release them. We need, we need help. Oh, well, look here. These guys in Iowa just defeated the bill similar to that. Let's pl- plug you into those guys over there, and they can help you. And if that doesn't work, get back to us, and we'll find someone else. And network, all of us, all of us. You know, it takes all of us working together. You know, Prop D in Michigan, uh, you know, the, the ballot initiative to stop bear hunting with hounds and bait, you know, would not have uh, been a successful effort without 750,000 deer hunters in Michigan that recognized that this was an anti-hunting issue and and got on board with it. You know, so, um, yeah, we can't overstate the, the fact that we as hunters have got to quit fighting with each other. We've got to find ways to make it work. And, um, uh, you know, Tim, you got you're doing such a great job up there. You and and Joe and Mike and all the people in Michigan. You're uh, an example for the whole country, really. And uh, I just commend you wholeheartedly for what you're doing up there, uh, because well, we simply have to quit fighting amongst each other. Yeah, I I really appreciate those comments, Steve, and 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 I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I would just like to add just to uh, plug our organization a little bit more is that <clears throat> another reason, in my opinion, that it's important that we have infrastructure in, in every state where there is hound hunting is that we can help each other when we come under attack. So right now we're in Michigan, we're, you know, we're okay right now, but since 1996, that's not including the money we spent on that initiative, but since then we, the Michigan bear hunters have spent over $400,000 in issues around the country. I mean, from Alaska to California, Florida, Delaware, New Jersey, Maine, uh, we've spent lots of money around the country helping uh, mostly bear hunting issues, but, I mean, we even spent money in in dove hunting in Ohio a a few years ago. So, and, and the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance has been a great partner for us also. So it's important that we support other organizations around the country because then if we ever need help they will be willing hopefully to help us you know so it's in our everyone's best interest to have active state organizations no doubt about that and uh we don't want it all to be doom and gloom there's a lot gene hopkins and i when we did our interview we talked about there's a lot of good things happening 
for hunting in general. Uh, when I and and especially in the hound lifestyle, when you scroll through social media, I see a lot of younger people who are who are getting out there and getting after it and uh, uh, doing their best to live life to its fullest with their hounds and um they're doing a pretty good job overall of of representation and of this of this lifestyle for for us and we need to embrace them bring them in make sure that we're not shunning those people because they're going to do things different than than the way i would have done it um Mm -hmm. but at the same time we got to make sure that that these people like you people like steve you know people like me we've we've tried to build this big boat okay that's going to carry us across these stormy seas and we need everybody on that boat there's no doubt about it but at the same time we can't afford to have people shooting holes in the boat you know so i'm not going to inside yeah from the inside from the inside (laughs) and and we can't afford for people to to doing be doing things like that you know you talked about 750,000 deer hunters steve so what kind of support would you have had if you had you know half a, a thousand houndsmen out there that were were trespassing or or shooting shooting from the road or totally disrespecting disregarding all of that sort of stuff they're going to be saying uh let's get rid of this so but uh I, there I did it. I did it again. I went to the doom and gloom side. I want to talk about a little bit. I want to give you the opportunity to wrap this up. Uh, but Mike Thorman, <laughs> he, uh, he described the Michigan bear hunters association as a wild Polish wedding, wedding with guns. And it's a, it's a party and you guys are there to celebrate your success, but also to plan for success in the future. So real quick, you know, if somebody's going to, going to take in and time and and uh, put some time on the road to come and support your organization what do they expect when they walk in well mike's convention is a little bit wilder than ours uh, i'll give him that there but, you go uh, all right that's okay with me I, yeah <laughs> uh, you know we do have uh like i say 500 people normally around there attend and and lots of we were averaging like 10 state legislators and DNR officials, so lots of uh, important people to interact with who are actually eager to interact with our members. They, they enjoy conversations with our members, so that's a good opportunity to interact with decision makers and uh, lots of prizes. I mean, really, that's, that's uh, exciting. We give away tons and tons of stuff, you know, probably close to $50,000 worth of prizes so uh just come and support a great cause i would say help us to be con- uh, to continue to be successful and influential and and bring yeah. bring your clothes and go tubing steve go ahead no right. no i i'm hearing you talk about the your convention i'm not hearing anything about the bear stomp yeah we have not done that for quite a few <laughs> years steve <laughs> <laughs> there used to hey. be a dance on Friday night. was called the Bear Stomp. <laughs> a fun time was had by all. Let's just leave it right there. You know, 
<laughs> you know, I tell you what, um, Tim, you know, people are looking ahead. I realize this podcast is airing after your convention has taken place. But if you're out there in the upper Midwest, put it on your calendar for March of next year to go to the Michigan Bear Hunters uh, Association uh, convention. Go to the UP Bear Houndsman Banquet. Go to the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation. You'll go there. You yeah, just like me last weekend up in Escanaba. You know, I met a, a gentleman for the first time. His name is Buck Tice. Buck is a bear hunter. Buck has been through two surgeries already for brain tumors and is facing a third. The guy's got a great attitude. You know, you can tell he's a houndsman. There's nothing pretentious about him. I don't know Buck's whole story uh, and all, but I really enjoyed meeting him, talking to him, a first-time acquaintance to me. Then Rick Grunch walks up to the table. I've known Rick forever. He's been one of the most um, active bear hunters, breeders of plot dogs for bear hunting, hunted with the legendary Leroy Howe back in the day and all that, renewed old acquaintances with with uh, Rich, uh, with Rick. And then John Kreiderman, you know, he's a, a Michigan bear hunting uh, icon, has traveled all over the country hunting with his buddy Mel Gunsfiller. All these guys, you know, all this networking, all this interaction combined with the fun, you know, of the raffles, you know, the expectation, the jokes, the speakers learning about the bear resource. You know, uh, what times of year do, do the black bears den in the state of Michigan? What do they eat at different times of year? Um, you know, Cody Norton, the bear biologist, had videos up there, uh, that a video, uh, a camera put on, on a bear. And you could actually see what this was, bear was eating at the different times of the year. Really interesting stuff. And then, you know, a great meal, a great time. And what is it all about? It's about guarding the gate, as our friend Clay Newcomb says. You know, it's about protecting this for the future. You know, assuring that this great lifestyle goes forward, not only moves forward, but grows and expands to the point that no anti-hunting organization would even think about attacking us. That's what the goal is, I believe. That's what you can expect if you get involved with one of these great associations. I'll get off my stump, but man, I think this one. is important stuff. Well, well said, Steve. Thank you. Yeah. Steve, uh, Tim, you've got, have you got any departing, departing comments or thoughts you want to share before we wrap this up? Uh, not really. Just, I, I really appreciate being able to come on your podcast. I respect what you guys are doing and, and, and hope, wish you well. I hope we can really grow this. And I, I was just thinking while Steve was talking that I think if it's all right with you, I would like to add a link to Houndsman XP on our web on uh, michigan bear hunters website and maybe we can get some more listeners and more people involved yeah when we get when we i would love that i really appreciate appreciate uh that gesture there tim no doubt um and when we get off air here then we'll talk about how we can maybe get more involved with with your organization and and uh, help support you for the future and and uh, some different things like that but 
But yeah, I'll just echo what Steve says real briefly. These banquets are a lot of fun. You make all these contacts, you build relationships, and uh, uh, you you just got to come out of the mountain, you know, come out of the woods, come out of the swamp, wherever you're hunting, and uh, support the people that are trying to keep your freedoms on the landscape and preserve your li- preserve, promote, and protect your lifestyle because you you mentioned it, Tim. Houndsmanship is a lifestyle. There's no doubt about it. It's not like a bow where we hang it up and we start shooting it in September. We're we're breeding dogs. We're exercising dogs. We're training dogs. You know, our sport and lifestyle is is centered around a living, breathing creature, and that's our hound. So, good work up there, Tim. I am fully convinced that you are a houndsman XP, extreme performance. So. <laughs> Really appreciate it. One thing, if I could, Chris. Yes, sir. Uh, I would, I would just like to say that there is there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that if the Michigan Bear Hunters, UP Bear Houndsmen, and the Hunting Dog Federation, if we were not in existence, existence, there is no doubt in my mind that bear hunting and probably most hunting with hounds would not be legal in Michigan. So, you know. I would encourage people to, like you said, come down off the mountain, come out of the swamps, join the or- any of the three organizations, just join all three of them. It's vitally important to protect this sport because without them and guys like Mike Thor- Mike is such a workhorse for us, Mike Thorman, uh, you know, without men like him, we'll, we'll lose it and we need to support these organizations. So I just really encourage people, you know, to, to join and support and Mike, I, I'm not trying to be disparaging towards Mike, but he's no spring chicken. And no, right, exactly. And, and somebody yeah. is going to have to step up and fulfill that role. And that person is listening to this podcast right now. So I'm I'm throwing out the challenge for somebody out there to contact Mike Thorman or you or uh, Carl Chattel or uh, uh, Joe, Joe Hudson. Yeah, and and find out how they're doing what they're doing and get involved now. Because by the time you're ready to take over the reins, you're going to need to get started right now. Yeah, that's right. Steve, you want to wrap it up? Well, it's been a good visit with you today, Tim. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, uh, I think that our listeners certainly would. And I hope this has been encouraging to those of you in other states besides Michigan or Wisconsin, who may be struggling with getting an association going. Uh, we're here for you. We'll help you, give you some ideas, and put you in touch with the right people. Tim, we have a tradition on the podcast, anytime we're ready to turn these hounds loose, uh, in the words of a West Virginia bear hunter, you follow your hound, and I'll follow mine. I thought you were going to make me sing a song. Like, uh, what's that that bear track bear tracks everywhere i look that one <laughs> i'm not going to edit that out i usually cut it off right after the right after the you follow your hounds but i'm going to leave that part in at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.